Hi, this is Tim, and welcome to episode four of Best Podcast. Uh, today we have Nolan, who is a good friend of the show. Uh, he is a World War II and Civil War reenactor, so we'll be talking a lot about that and all of his ridiculousness there. Uh, he's also planning on participating in something called the Mongol Run, which is a, they're not supposed to call it race race, across two continents. So, and Zeus. So that's happening. Now, let me tell you about a few ways to find our show. You can go on iTunes and type in Best Podcast MP3 into their search bar. Or you could go on Stitcher.com and just type in Best Podcast and that will bring you right there. Uh, you can also email us with comments or concerns or suggestions or really whatever you want. Random words. Uh, at bestpodcast at outlook.com. We don't have one of them fancy Gmail addresses. All we got is Outlook. So, enjoy the show. And here is Best Podcast number four with Nolan. him and he's like, okay, I'm going to fight. Yeah. Oh, boy, I backed the wrong house. Everybody's dead. Marge is the only one left and she just says, well, I'm not cleaning this mess up. Boof! Yeah. And hits her head, herself in the head with the um, the mace. I would love to sit down, but I'm a little worried. I'm going to get beamed by Zeus. Give me this. Zeus, we let Give you free. You, you have to be nice, though. There you go. I'm going to get mauled. Puppy, you're a prisoner now. Puppy prisoner. He's a puppy prisoner. There you go, eat your hand. Microphone. Eat your hand. Eat your hand. Eat the doggy. Yeah, eat the doggy. Yeah, yeah, I love Shakespearean plays. I, I can never... I can never actually... I don't think I could ever actually be in one. I'd really want to see The Merchant of Venice. Which is supposed to be great, but I've never seen that one. That's the one where he he, wrote, he penned that also famous line, um, prick, prick us, do we not bleed? Tickle us, will we not laugh? Yeah. Wrong us, will we not seek revenge? When they're when they're yelling at Shlomo uh, for being a Jew, he says, "Yes, I am a Jew, but am I not a man as well?" No. <laughs> yeah, I haven't I haven't read that or seen that though. The ones I've read have been limited to kind of the more popular stuff. Oh, yeah. The Midsummer's Hamlet, Othello, Supposedly, Romeo. There is one of Merchant of Venice in where Al Pacino plays the titular merchant. Oh yeah. Of Venice, yeah, oh. and he does that whole speech. It's supposed to be amazing. That's because it's Al Pacino. Taming of the Shrew. I want to read. I haven't read that. I want to read that one. The modern updated retelling of that is actually the movie with. Um, yeah, ten things yeah. I hate about you. With I the, love that with, movie. With the... Oh, by the way, we've been recording this whole time. Oh. <laughs> Whatever. You gonna do a intro then, or? Yeah, I'm gonna do an intro. I'm gonna record an intro uh, later. Oh, all right. So, yeah, Nolan is with us. Yeah, that weren't apparent <laughs> from my voice being under recording. <laughs> For however long, like three minutes. Uh, three minutes, yeah. 
Shouldn't those numbers be moving up if you're recording? Oh, there they are. Okay, yeah, about three and a half minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nolan is uh, one of the co-hosts of Speaking from Center Radio. Uh, he's also a, what, Civil War and World War II reenactor? Yeah. So far. I haven't gotten into anything else yet. Financial constraints and whatnot. And but the, next is going to be Grenada. I can reenact Grenada. I can get drunk in the backyard with a bunch of tequila for a three-day weekend and then complain a lot about it. Yeah, exactly. I'll be reenacting one of the college students that the American Marines had to go in there and save. How how expensive is it to be a reenactor? Entirely depends what kind of reenacting and what level of impression you want to do. Uh, let's say you want to be a Civil War reenactor and you want your own gear. Um, I, there's a common misconception among people who are new to the hobby that there's such a thing as being, you know, a cheap reenactor or a cheap impression. Uh, and it's not true. You can start out fairly inexpensively with these things. If you have, if you know people in the hobby who are willing to help you uh, with gear and equipment, so you can slowly but surely acquire these things yourself over the span of like a year, it doesn't seem like that much. But when you get all your gear and you stop to think about how much all the stuff costs you, you're like, holy shit! I spent like five hundred dollars on all this <laughs> stuff, but it was like fifty bucks here, a hundred dollars here. I would say for Civil War though, at minimum. If you don't buy your own rifle, right, you could very easily rack up about two hundred to two hundred and fifty dollars for a complete set. Uh, that's you know basic uniform, leather equipment, shoes, and maybe one other odd item like a rain poncho or a winter coat. Now, how much do the rifles usually cost? That entirely depends. On what kind of rifle you get. And if you want it to fire? <laughs> you got to point that, too, if you want it to work. Or if you want to just run around with a big model and shout bang every now and again. <laughs> you hit people over the head with it. <laughs> you run to a guy, bang, you're dead. What? <laughs> I wish. I wish that wasn't a thing. Is that a thing? It happens all too often. You the people... <laughs> they point the rifle, bang! Um, You're supposed to fall now. It doesn't happen so much with the Civil War thing, because it's big block formations of dudes, so and just... there's usually people putting on, you know, watching. This is usually, Civil War reenactments are done for public viewing. Right. <clears throat> In the World War II ones, though, you're using somewhat, well, considerably more modern <laughs> firearms and you got to be careful with those because you can still kill someone with a blank really? at close range. Well, one of the weapons I have is an M38 Mosin Nagant carbine. And if I were to pull the trigger on that thing from here right now, I would probably kill Tim if for no other reason than the, the gout, the three-foot gout of flame that would shoot out the barrel when that thing went off. Not to mention the concussion from the explosion itself going down the barrel. I'm fairly certain we have a recording of you shooting that gun outside and the very large flash it created. 
when I that was actually a Mauser, <laughs> so it would be that, but a lot worse. Okay. Um, and it's it, it hurts actually. Um, I found this out the hard way at one event. I was in a trench, uh, and I creeped up on this guy, and this other guy dropped in the trench, like you know we were coming around the corner. And I guess I knew he was in the trench, but he didn't know anybody else was in the trench, so he was hyper on alert. <laughs> and I thank God I had two earplugs in that day. Big, thick, heavy, blue plastic ones with the fins that pull if you try to yank them out. And really painful. But I had both of those in, and I come around the corner, and he and I are literally at the distance between like me and that fridge. And I went, bang! And he jumped. Because he didn't know I was there. And he pulled the trigger and shot me. <laughs> ah! And I literally felt the concussion and went, boof, into the back wall of the trench. It was like, ow. <laughs> kind of hurt. And, like, there was luckily a group of... Because when you're in the trenches and you get hit and you know you've been hit, it's common practice. One of the first things they teach you in reenacting is when you get hit, take your helmet off. Take your hat off. Whatever headgear you're wearing, that's the sign that you're dead. Right. No headgear equals dead. Okay. <laughs> in the trenches, you get shot, you take your you take your helmet off, and the first thing you do is you go stand up on the top of the trench and you watch everybody run around <laughs> for a little bit until you've decided. And if there's guys from the other side, you stand around and bullshit and laugh. And there's a whole bunch of guys doing that. So he shot me, I hit the back wall, and the first thing I'm able to hear again is the guys who were standing up outside the trench... Both sides, mind you, going, hey, what'd you do that? Oh, you got to be more careful, like yelling at the guy. And he was sitting there as soon as he did it. He went, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, he felt so bad, but literally it was. He turned, I turned first, I went bang, he saw me, went, ah, and jumped and pulled the trigger by mistake. <laughs> That's what we call a kill reflex. Yes. <laughs> a little scary, but. So, uh. About guys not playing uh, playing fair, pretending they're dead. Yeah. Well, How does that happen? Oh, all the time. Each. Well, in that particular instance, Nolan could have just put his hat back on, walked out, and start shooting <laughs> other people. In I, I got this bang. I, I did actually because they all decided that it was unfair. Well, it wasn't fair. You killed that guy first. I got him first, damn it. <laughs> but guys not it's like pl- paintball. The way it works is this: whatever side you're on. Whatever form of reenacting you do, there is always one group of individuals who take it too seriously and don't play fair. Because it's all about fair play. Because when you shoot at the guy, they have to kind of recognize, oh yeah, okay, we just got the shit shot out of us. We're done. We're cooked. They got us. I have, throughout my reenacting career, managed to always wind up on the side that has to deal with a bunch of jackasses on the other side that don't play fair. If you do Civil War reenacting, it's always the Confederates who never take their goddamn hits. Well, I could have seen that one coming. You launch volley after volley of shot into him and the bastards won't break. We had one group that literally decided to power game or meta game it up as best as I can think to describe it. You have to keep a certain distance between two groups of firing musket men. You know, when you've got these Civil War era muskets, you have to keep a certain safe distance. There's a safe firing distance. Well, the Rebs knew this, so they fucking rushed us. 
so they kept getting close. We'd turn around and back off, and then they'd come in, so we couldn't <laughs> fucking shoot at them. What a bunch of dicks! Well, that's when you—that's when you tell everyone to fix bayonets and charge. Actually, no. What we did was we got them the next day. Our commanding staff went, "Okay, they want to fuck around like that. Here's what we're gonna do: group of dudes, cannon. Group of dudes, group of dudes, cannon. Group of dudes. They lined us up." We'd all fire, the cannons would shoot and reload, and then we'd march in time with the artillery. <laughs> as if to say, okay, try that again. Oh, here they come. Boom, boom. There was a slight incline, though. So at one point, the guns are like, and they're trying to keep them from rolling. I was like, fuck it, let them go. They'll never charge us again. <laughs> they're literally throwing cannons at us. They'd have broke rank and run then. <laughs> In World War II reenacting, um, if you're on the Western Front, it's the GIs. The Brits, I've come up against Canadian and British soldiers, fair play, hard fighters, good guys. The GIs are all running around pretending they're Captain America. <laughs> the 101st Airborne guys are the worst. They never take their hits because they watch the fucking HBO Sitcom yeah, they, they watch Band of Brothers. Yeah, they watch much. Band of Brothers and they think that they're invincible. We call them the Whistling 101 because you get shot through full of that many holes and the wind would whistle through you. They never take their goddamn hits. The GIs are the most ill-disciplined, unorganized group of rabble. So, for historical standards, pretty good, actually. <laughs> So why don't you literally just fill your guns with paint guns, and then you know if you've been hit. <laughs> you've got a big old paint mark. I would love to do that, but apparently reproduction uniforms aren't cheap sometimes. Oh. People will get fussy if you get paint on their fancy uniforms. Yeah, half of it's about owning the uniform and doing all that. Well, yeah. And then the other half like is the actual reenacting. plastic suit over it. It's just <laughs> see-through, and you just take off the plastic poncho thing, and they're done. They, they actually, there is an airsoft community that does World War II there you stuff, go. which well, actually looked really cool. Well, it still wouldn't mark it close, though. Nope, but you'd know when you got hit. That's yeah. true. You'd, you'd be like, know. oh, fuck, that like, hurt. Like, you could <laughs> almost like, ow, I got you. No, you didn't. I saw you. I can't even pick up my gun, but I didn't get hit. No, just a flash wound. I saw you flinch. Um, yeah, the GIs run around like puppy dogs on crack. They're just like, they run around all over the place there. Chaotic, unorganized. We got charged by one group who came at us up a hill, literally <laughs> chanting, America, fuck yeah. <laughs> I was I was with a German group. I was asleep, actually. I put my helmet on the ground, put my head down, and actually dozed off. And then I hear, bang, boom, daka, daka, daka. Cracked one eye. What? <laughs> boom, daka, 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 daka. The Americans are coming. Ah, Fuck, get up, get my helmet on, stumble over to the line, and I see him coming up the hill, and they're like, America, fuck yeah. I was like, took my helmet off, walked back over, went back to sleep, and no, I'm not dealing with this shit. Um, and the other side of it is I do Soviet World uh -huh. War II, because I like to be on the winning team for once, <laughs> and it's the SS. Yeah. The SS guys, they take it way too seriously, and they never take their hits. So... Um, and if you looked at the number of, like, reenactors that do varying impressions and then applied that to World War II, apparently the entirety of the Second World War was fought between the 101st Airborne Division and the SS. <laughs> no one else was involved. Ever. 
<laughs> regular German troops, there were hardly any. Um, Brits. Amer- regular American infantry didn't exist. Not, not very many of them either. <laughs> Hundred and first, like the entire American army in Europe was the hundred and first airborne, <laughs> and all the German troops were SS. That whole Eastern Front thing, no, that didn't happen. <laughs> are there are there uh, French and Italian reenactors? Yeah, I've actually um, I know of a group of Frenchmen um, who sometimes they do stuff, sometimes they don't. They're based out of Virginia. They all have, the group of them, have a group of French uniforms from, like, 1940 when they first fought the Germans and got the crap kicked out of them. (laughs) And then there is a group that does um, free French forces. Like, there's this one reenactment we do. It's called the Battle of New Oxford, and it's literally this old town in Pennsylvania that looks very, like, much like a European, kind of, they got this big roundabout, um, what is that called, a traffic circle? And a look, Yeah, rotary, and they've got a little town... uh, gazebo area set up in the middle and what they do is they actually shut down two major highways that intersect there um you know obviously through pennsylvania so yeah so nobody's there anyways pretty much is my my <laughs> understanding of it but they shut down to both of them and they you know rope off the town square and they set up spectator seating across from the main square and we you know, they do it up like it's a French village. They raise the French wow. flag. There's one guy who walks around with a, a French uh, gendarme um, uh, police officer's uniform. And, you know, and then, um, you know, they... Are Some of them, yeah. There's this one guy who shows up every year with a bottle of wine and a thing of French bread under his arm as he walks around the town square. People play, kids play chess together and all this stuff. Um, it's done up to look like an old French village. And then, you know, the Germans come in and take the flag down and start massacring people. Well, no, we, 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 corral, all, we corral all the civilians off into, the, like, the... You point the gun at the kid, go, bang, you're dead. And the kid goes, no, I'm not dead, I have a shield. And then we punch him. No, it, it's, you know, they the, the town puts it on. And, oh. and it, it, does, it draws a huge amount of uh, stuff because... It's done around the time of Eisenhower's birthday, uh-huh. because not too far from the town is this place called Ike's Farm, and it's a tank farm that's on land that was donated from Eisenhower's personal estate after he died or when he was still alive for you know a museum for these things. Is that where they grow and raise tanks? Yes, they farm them right there. <laughs> and then every year at the harvest, they drive them to New Oxford to shoot at a bunch of guys dressed up like Germans, and then they're ripe enough to eat. <laughs> I'm sorry, you said tank farm. <laughs> Sad thing is, that's what they're called. That's like their actual name. But it's a lot of fun. Um, and, we, and you know, this big allied convoy comes into town and fucking shoots the crap out of us and we all get killed. And... So every year, a bunch of Germans invade a town in Pennsylvania. Basically, yeah. Right. And the town loves it. <laughs> and they keep asking them back. Yeah, yeah. We, we come back every year. They love us. I've not missed one yet, I don't think. Well, 2012, I might have been in China, but I'm not sure on that one. <laughs> um, and it's fun. It's 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 uh, That one's a lot of fun. But, yeah. So what what is your best reenacting story? Oh. The best one? I don't know. That's tough. Because there's a lot. Um, okay. The best World War II one. 
There's still a lot. All right, look, I'll run you through some of the highlights. <laughs> um, great reenacting stories. Okay, well, here's one. Give us new ones. We've heard a few. Yeah, yeah. Okay. A new so one. Then it down. Um, in one instance, there was a, a time we were, one of the reenactments, every actually two every year, I always miss the one in the beginning of the year. They reenact the Battle of the Bulge in, like, January. Actually, just last weekend, they did it. Um, and I was like, no. or no, no, not last weekend, the weekend before. So it's like the last weekend in January. Mm-hmm. I just, I can never get myself organized and <laughs> ordered to get there for the beginning of the year. Um, so I've missed it every year. Every year I sign up for it, and every year I don't go. <laughs> so... Um, but they do another one. They do one in January and one in March. And these are both held on the grounds of Fort Indiatown Gap, which is a National Guard barracks in Pennsylvania. And their training grounds, they let us go run around on, basically. All right. Uh, And it's it's fun and it's neat, although it's a little unnerving to have to sign the, yes, I am aware that there may be an exploded (laughs) ordinance out in the field. You know, that's just one of those things that makes you go... Huh, right. <laughs> mine training, and you step on a mine. How much do I want to do this? <laughs> do I want to lose my leg, or the whole bottom half of my body? As a, as a friend of mine once put it, and it's the best way I've ever heard reenacting described, <laughs> we're all here because we're not all there. <laughs> you got to be punched a little off-center to think this is a good idea in the first place. Um, Some of those people just go, oh, an exploding ordinance. Yeah, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, every that year. That would be awesome. <laughs> I explode an ordinance. Yeah, fuck it, whatever. I'll, just, uh, I'll be fine. I'm I'll sure be, it'll. Get, I'll be drunk when it happens. I'm sure it'll get. I'm sure it'll get somebody else. Um, Has that be, ever happened? No. Well, okay. one time they were bussing us out to the site, and there was a bunch of National Guardians doing live fire training. Which is a little unnerving, <laughs> but apparently they were stopping um, as we were showing up. There was also an inst- instance where. Um, bunch of Germans were just taking a break on the reverse side of this hill, and then there was a road, and everybody was sitting on this reverse slope, because one, it was like, you know, the main area was up here, and this was about three feet down, and two, it was in the sun, and it was very windy, so one, you were shielded from the wind, and you were actually getting some direct sunlight, so you could sit there and warm up, and a bunch of them were sitting there, and out across the road, which we weren't supposed to cross, and we didn't cross, and we realized why we didn't cross it, because without realizing it, until they stepped out of the bush and went, hey, there were a bunch of U.S. soldiers in full camo gear training. And they came out and went, hey, I gotta know, doesn't it suck to be on the losing side of this reaction? <laughs> and we were just sitting there like, holy shit, how long were they there for? Um, and that's Fort Indiatown Gap, and that's a lot of fun. But there was one day we were fighting, um, and the unit I'm in is... They're not even technically German. We're Austrians. Um, and we are mountain infantry. So we're specialized troops meant to fight in the mountains. That's what they use them for. So we went to, like, Norway yeah. and invaded there. We spent a lot of time up in Finland for some reason. I think literally because... Most of the war happened in Finland. Yeah. <laughs> that was ground zero. Finland and Norway. They were where the real war happened. <laughs> so, like, yeah, that's, well, unfortunately, in 1944, they shipped us to France. That's like, oh, fuck, we were so close. No, I think, I'm sorry, 44, they shipped us to Italy. And then in 45, they sent us to France. Oh, joy. 
But yeah, from like 1940 to 1944, we pretty much were stationed in Finland. And I think the only reason the unit, it's called the 2nd Kabertjäger, it means 2nd Mountain Trooper Division. And I think the only reason they got sent to Finland was because we were already in Norway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure, we could ship a unit for Germany, but fuck, you guys are already in that area. If you could take Norway, you might as well take Finland, too. It's right fucking there. <laughs> and we did. We, we, we were in Finland helping the Finns we'll fight. a little bit and have some, you know, we were, we were We were in Finland fighting against the Russians, helping Finland fend off the Russians. Not that Finland needs help to do that, <laughs> but we decided we were their buddies, so we'd send them some troops, and why not send them a bunch of annoying Austrians? Well, at that point, weren't the Russians just walking down with, you know, shoot me signs written on them? Pretty much. <laughs> the Russian uniform, tragically, was a big red circle with a smaller red inner circle. It was a terrible design. Um, and I believe Stalin had them and another thousand people shot for doing that. Uh, but Fort India Town Gap, we're there with the Gebergs, and um, we come up against this stupid position, and it's two 101st Airborne guys dug in behind a bush. Like, they're just hiding behind a bush, like we can't see them. And there's this... Well, maybe they thought they had the camo that the regular U.S. Army had. They're like, they can hide in bushes. Let's hide in bushes. Well, they just, they just had the World War II American green uniforms. Like... Oh, they had the khaki jump gear on. Oh, like... God. What's that khaki blob behind that tree? What's that khaki... So, what we did, being sneaky Germans, is we noticed there's a bunch of tall grass. So, we hid in the tall grass... Popped up and shot at him, and not surprisingly, nothing happened. <laughs> we had to literally, at one point, me and the captain of the unit popped up, zigzagged. Or no, it was me, the captain, and one other guy, and the three of us popped up, zigzagged like a shooting gallery, <laughs> so that they would see us drop down, all while one of our guys snuck around behind him, popped up, and just bang, bang, like right behind him. <laughs> and they had the nerve to turn at us and go, grass doesn't block bullets. You were in a bush, jackass. <laughs> So we, we finish with these fucktards, and we get through into this tree line. And as we come through it, we get into a... We, ha, we, we, we linked up with another German unit. They were just regular infantry. Again, two units that didn't exist in World War II, according to reenacting ratios. Regular Germans and German mountain troopers. We were like a rarity in the war. Um, but we, we had a unit that was friends of ours, the, the 914th Infantry Regiment, and they're a bunch of regular German infantry. And um, we link up with them, we're like, oh, all right, well, let's push on through this tree line. And we, we deploy in line in this skirmish line, and we start moving up. And then on the right, there's contact, and we get into a firefight. We're, you know, we're like, well, we can advance. And then we kind of look, and the guy they're having the firefight with is like one or two dudes hiding behind tree stumps, and we're going... Hey, tell them to knock it off. We can see them from here, and they're wearing German helmets. <laughs> they're shooting at other Germans. We realized the Germans we were shooting at were the SS. And then we were like, all right, well, maybe we should keep shooting at them then, because they're kind of dicks. As we realize that these are German units, we move up, and the captain of this unit comes over. All right. Somebody try to open the door in your bedroom? No, it's just... Oh. Anyway, um, the German commander, this, this SS captain, comes over to see us. He comes out, he sees that it's Germans, because he heard the shooting. He comes out, sees other Germans, he goes, Oh, thank God you're here. <laughs> Glad you're happy to see us, but what's up? There's like a hundred GIs coming down the road at us. We were like, okay, now we got some action. So we fall into line with these 
SS guys who were so nuts, they've actually brought in trenching tools, and some of them have actually dug foxholes. We're like, oh my god, dude, really? <laughs> but we fall into line with them, and you know, we're in this huge gun battle. Now, to be fair, the GIs are equally insane, and one of them had dug a gun pit across the road. <laughs> And we're like, what the fuck are these guys doing? There's already one GI vehicle parked on the side of the road because apparently it got knocked out somehow. Yeah. And we're sitting there, okay. And we're like, oh, okay, well, that's why there are all these GIs coming here because the road's clogged. They have to get off their fancy vehicles to come after us. <laughs> so we're shooting and we're fighting. And then all of a sudden we just hear this really loud but really weird noise like, crack, thud. <laughs> the fuck was that? We glance to our right and down the road is a panzer tank advancing on the GI armored column. And we're just like... And the captain just goes, We got armored support! Go! 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 Charge! So we rush across the enemy lines and just fucking roll the GIs back down the road. And of course, all they're on this narrow road and their trucks can't fucking move. And, you know, they treat their Jeeps like their tanks. Yeah. So we'll shoot at a Jeep and they'll be like, No, we're in a Jeep, doesn't hurt. <laughs> I don't think you understand how flimsy these... Okay, you know those big metal beams they put in the front of Jeeps? Those were to catch rows of barbed wire strung across a road or something. You know, that's how flimsy these things were to cut that before it got to the people, because if it got to the people part, they would die. So, so they were saying that their Jeeps Normally. Were, were equal to a Panzer tank. They would normally do that, but since we had an actual tank this time, and it wasn't just us in infantry fighting mode, yeah. we, they went, no, that's an actual tank, we're fucked. <laughs> and very promptly gave up. <laughs> oh, so, uh, you're also planning on doing some sort of crazy road race. Oh, yeah. I am. Um, it's put on by The Adventurist, which is a British periodicals company or something they do a web uh magazine type thing all right and they they also host and organize these kind of crazy around the world type events uh one of them is called the rickshaw run which actually des and i are looking into doing in 2016 and you you get a dinky indian taxi cab they're called rickshaws but it's like a three-wheeled three-seater like the guy sits in the front and there's two people in the back taxi so like, cab so it's like a, a bike front and like a taxi cab back yeah but it's it's like a rickshaw back with a bike front but it's motorized all right it's called the rickshaw run and you have to drive from like delhi in the north of india for two weeks on nothing but on, in nothing but this drive from delhi to bombay all right like way down in southern india um so that's one of the things what what i'm looking into doing for the summer of next year um, my brother and I, my older brother and I, because my younger brother's a moron. Um, my older brother, I don't know why you guys needed to know that, but. Um, <laughs> just to give some context to which one of your brothers you trust the most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll go with that one. Because uh, I always tell people my brother's an idiot. And then they say, which one? And I say, yes. Um, but my older brother and I. Well, here's the difference. My older brother is an adventurer like me. Right. You know, I've done some things that I think can qualify me as an adventurer. I flew to Hong Kong on a one-way ticket to get in to go see the Olympic Games in 2008. And when I couldn't get my visa approved, was essentially stuck in Hong Kong for a week. And I lived in the airport. 
Um, I there was that whole kerfuffle up on the Yalu River that one time in China slash. Well, okay, no, it was never in North Korea technically, and the border guards were just being snippy. <laughs> to be fair, running at the line and stopping short. <laughs> Probably not a smart idea. Um, driving to Canada for a board game convention. It was probably the tamest of the adventuring things I've ever done. Because at one time I wound up drunk in a tiger's cage in China. With a tiger? Yeah. Well, they the opened the door. in the cage? Yeah. They opened the door and they said, who wants to come in and get their picture taken with the tiger? I was pissed drunk. Right? And he drunk and said, I want to hug the big kitty. <laughs> I will show it to you, but there is a photo of me. And there is a full-size tiger, and I am sitting there like this. This is my hand on its shoulders. This is my head inches away from its. They took the picture, and I guess the tiger, either smelling the liquor or realizing that I was just being stupid, decided to yawn. It's really, and shine those pearly whites and flash those claws. And I sobered up real quick and went, I won't be in here anymore. I'm in a bad place. Well, I mean, we've seen the hangover. Tigers like drunk people, apparently. It's when you're sober that they're done with you. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> they're totally okay with being hugged by a drunk person. But if, don't come near me if you're sober. Um, so I've, I've done some pretty crazy, uh, you know, I, I went out to Hawaii with my older brother and some of his friends and we crashed in a fucking tin roof hut with, with two bedrooms. We, we packed eight, seven or eight people. It's like a two-bedroom tin shack on the North Shore of Hawaii for a while. I mean, you're in Hawaii. You can really just sleep on the beach. It was it was very interesting waking up every morning to the sound of chickens walking across the top of the... Clink, 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 clink. Um, and before you made toast in the morning, because that was our most common breakfast, because bread was one of the few affordable things, um, you had to make sure that you had two knives out. One to put the peanut butter on, but the knife before that was used to scoop the ants that would get into peanut yeah. butter out every Aww. morning. Um, and I did that for a while, for a couple couple weeks with my brother, and then we wound up, he left. So everybody was like, well, yeah, your brother's leaving. And I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> apparently that means I'm supposed to go too, because I'm taking up critical space on this fucking love seat I'm sleeping on. <laughs> Luckily, my cousin had also moved out there recently. He was living on Waikiki, so I decided I'd go crash with him until I could get a flight home. That was a bad idea, because my cousin is a very, very big man. And he had two other friends who were also fairly large gentlemen such as himself. And they were staying in a studio apartment. So I got to sleep on the balcony. <laughs> <laughs> Which was sadly not any bigger than the love seat I had been sleeping on in the North Shore. And that was fun. Sleeping in past 7 o'clock in the morning was impossible. Because, <laughs> you know, the sun would happen. Yeah, and, you know, there's also another thing that they never tell you about Hawaii. It rains in Hawaii every single fucking day. Oh, yeah? For like a Florida? Well, it is, but the difference is it rains in Florida every day for about 20 minutes. Yeah. Because it's a dinky little island, a storm system hits and goes, whoop, and it's done. Yeah. So, yeah, every day it would rain. So, you know, every now and again, I'd wake up in the morning and just be like, oh, no. <laughs> I'll just wait 20 minutes and I'll stop. <laughs> I think this sleeping bag is waterproof. Um, and then the sun would come out, and it would get very warm in that sleeping bag. Um, 
So yeah, I've done some adventurous things. This is probably the most adventurous thing I've ever set out to do, and I will probably, more than likely, actually do it. So what what is it? What, what it's, are you going to be doing? It's called the Mongol Rally, and it, not to get people confused, it's not like the Gumball Three Thousand that everybody talks about the the race that they do in Europe, where you start out in London and you have to drive through France and Germany and into Poland and then up through like Belarus and the Baltics and then you got to go to Finland and then you got to go over to Sweden and then you got to get back to Britain. All right. This in, this involves taking like. You can get from Sweden back to Britain like that. Uh, on a boat or oh, okay. or or it ends in Denmark or something weird or I don't know. Um, but it's, this is not a race because you legally cannot make it a race because of the, the distances involved. Right. And what it is is it's a rally for charity. You have to raise the equivalency of, I think it's about 2,000 U.S. dollars. It's in, Everything is in pounds, and I'm not exactly sure what the conversion Hold rate is. Hold on a second. Right. I have to murder a puppy. Don't murder my puppy. Hug him with love. I'm going to hug him with death. Continue. Okay. <clears throat> so what it is, is it's a it's a charity rally called the Mongol Rally. And it starts in London. You have to raise about 2,000 U.S. dollars. Um, they, they said like 1,000 pounds, but I just doubled it because I figure pound is worth maybe two. <laughs> well, I mean, at that, that, that time, who knows how much it's going to be. Exactly. It's like it's like $1.64, $1.74 to the pound. So I'm like, yeah, 2,000 bucks. Got it. Uh, but it's you got to raise two thousand dollars, and um, half of that goes to a charity called the Cool Earth Charity, which is a charity that preserves um, rainforests down in the Amazon or somewhere. All right. It's it's done for that. Because... Seems a little counterproductive with you know emissions from these old cars. Well, <laughs> be using it all. here's here's how it works. You have to get a car that is under a thousand pounds in price. And has an engine no bigger than one liter. So you literally have to drive there in like a two-door Honda. Jesus. And then you have to drive from Wait. London to Ulaanbaatar. Listen, if I was driving that far, I would not be able to do it in my car. And mine's a four-door Honda. I would need like a suburban fucking big-ass car. Like a... So you could lay down in the back and shit like that. Apparently, ambulances. You can get old British ambulances that have been, like, retired for around a 1,000 pounds, and they only have a le one liter engine. Yeah, that's a good huh. idea. It, it was, it but I... It gives you the option to, like, lay down and yeah, stuff like that. I was talking to my brother about it, and he said, no, no, if we're getting a car for this, we have to get it from France or Spain. And I was like, why? He said, for two reasons. One, it'll be a lot cheaper if we get it from France or Spain. Two, I am not... Because my brother's role in this is the driver. We've set up, we've got a team, and the way the team works is you're only on the team if you have some sort of skill that we need. <laughs> My brother is the driver. He drove in about the span of three days from the tip of Baja, California, down to Mexico, to here. But not by driving a straight kind of sort of line. No, he drove up to Canada, across Canada, then down to Connecticut. And he did it in like four days. He didn't sleep, did he? No. He's the driver. 
He can drive long distances like nobody's business. He drove from Utah to Panama. Don't know why. <laughs> I just know that he did it. And I know that he can do this. And there's nobody better at staying awake behind the wheel of a car right. than this man. Tristan is the driver. Why am I on this trip? One, I'm the one who fucking found out about it. <laughs> Two, you're not going to be able to drive through that many countries across that much of the earth and not bring me along because you're going to need somebody who knows where you are, what language they speak, what the alphabet looks like, <laughs> how to read the road signs, and to know a little bit of the geography and the culture and all that stuff, me. Like like Indiana Jones described Marcus Brody in the end of, uh, or in the uh, Raiders of the Lost, no, what was that? Last Crusade, where, where they're like, we've well, got to go find Marcus Brody. And he's like, you'll never find Marcus Brody. He's got friends in every city between here and the Sudan. He speaks a dozen different languages, knows every dialect, every custom. You will not find him. He'll blend in. I can do that. You Marcus know, except, Bro you know, in places where all the people look completely different than you. I don't know. I can speak really good Chinese. <laughs> um but that's kind of the reason. I'm the one who speaks the languages. I'm the linguist. I know the areas. That's why I'm going on the trip. Nobody else out of the people we know can read and write in Cyrillic. You're going to be driving... Cyrillic. It's the Russian alphabet. Oh. And they use the same kind of alphabet. call that Russian. <laughs> Cyrillic is the official name because there's Russian Cyrillic, Serbian Cyrillic, Greek Cyrillic, and Mongolian Cyrillic. That sounds complicated. They're all just the same style but with variations to them. Greek. Yes, it does, actually. Um, but I can read and write in Cyrillic, so that's why I need to be there. Because regardless of what route we take, at some point in time, we're going to be driving through a large portion of Russia <laughs> and former Russian republics. Yeah, and if you have nobody who speaks Russian, they're not getting out of Russia. Exactly. <laughs> that's why I'm on the trip. Johnny Two-Tone, as we know him, is an old friend of uh, my brother's. Um, and Johnny... Uh, Johnny is a whiz mechanic. He's about my brother's age. He's about 34 or so. Oh, you found the mechanic? Yes. He can... He fixes up old VW buses with his brother for fun. VW bus? Is that a leader? I... Oh. Yeah, you get a VW bus. Here's the problem. We have to find one in Europe, though. Because right. shipping one from... Well, I mean... Here to Britain is going to be a nightmare. They weren't manufactured in America, so they got to be over there. <laughs> The other reason my brother wants to make one, get one from France or Spain is because he refuses to drive with a British-style car in a car that may very well turn out to be a manual <laughs> for that far because the Brits drive on the wrong side of the road. Right. So we would have a car that he would have to drive on the wrong side of the road because everybody in Europe uses our side of the road rules. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah Britain is the only one who does oh, that wonky drive on I the road. I thought all of Europe did what Britain does. Nope. France and Spain and Germany all drive on the left. Like well, then that makes sense that he wants to... But Volkswagen is still going to be getting something that's... Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible if it's within one liter and we can find one in workable condition for yeah. under a 1,000 pounds or around a 1,000 pounds. And, but, yeah, that would be perfect because that's what him and his brother do for fun. And he knows those cars inside and out. He can fix a car like nobody's business. There you go. So we get him... The, the fourth man in this crew is the, what we call the man on the inside, and that's Sebastian, our cousin. He lives over in Jersey, uh, in the Channel Islands. And we figure he's great because he's already in Britain, so he he's can like act... Jersey, and I thought he meant New Jersey. I was like, God, why? <laughs> <laughs> that's nope. the first thing I was like, no! No, nope, he's in Old Jersey. <laughs> Old Jersey, yeah. <laughs> 
But what he can do is he's the middleman. Um, he can facilitate us getting the money and the things we need over to Europe with minimal complications. He can also, we can send Seb to France because he goes there on a weekly basis because he's all of about an hour away by boat to France to find a car. And seeing that we need a shit car to do this, that's about as much as I trust Seb to be able to find. <laughs> so, yeah, Seb perfect for this. If he doesn't actually come for the trip, that's fine. But he can get us the car, which is good. How cool would that be to live in a place where you'd be like, I'm going to go away for the weekend. Let's go to France. Let's go to another country. Just, you know, for an hour drive for the weekend. No, we go for an hour drive, we end up at Mohegan. <laughs> yeah, or we end up in New York. But, I mean, either way, like, they're yeah. okay to visit and stuff. But you just like, I'm going to go away for the weekend. Let's go to another country. Come on. That's apparently what living in Europe is like, I guess. Like, <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Especially if you live in one of the smaller countries like Belgium or something. Yeah, it has like all these borders. Yeah, or Switzerland. It's like, yeah, you want to go to France, you want to go to Italy, you want to go to Austria. <laughs> nah. want to go this weekend? Well, from what I hear, Switzerland, living, living in Switzerland is crushingly depressing. Is it? Is it? Um, because it's dark. A lot. Well, so is Alaska. Just yeah, whatever. living in Alaska is crushingly depressing, too. But you know how much you get paid if you live in Alaska? Yeah, a lot. Yeah. But so, I mean, the fuck they all have their pleasures. Like, it's fine. But I'm not saying, like, Swiss, Switzerland is one of the happier countries, but there's nothing to do. So they go to other countries. <laughs> yeah. But you can. Yeah, that's the benefit. It's really easy to say, hey, let's pop over to fucking Bavaria and get some beer. We want to go to another country. The shortest time it's going to take by driving, what, six hours, seven get to hours? Canada, yeah. And it's fucking Canada. Yeah, and who the fuck wants to go there? If, if you think about it, it's one of those things where if you're sitting around the house, it's like, you know what, I could really go for some like Italian food. If you live in Switzerland, it's like, well, that's like 45 minutes down the road. Let's go get some Italian <laughs> yeah. food. Like, or if it's like, I really want some good beer. Fucking Germany's like two hours that way. Let's go. Like, that would be really awesome. Who you wants know? to go visit the Pope? Yeah. You know, red wine would go really well with this. Hold on, I'll be. I'll go to France. I'll be right back. Just finish roasting the chicken for us. By the time it's done, I'll be back with a great, like, Merlot. And now there's no currency exchange. Yeah. I'll use the euro. Just show up with the euro. <laughs> All right, I'm going to need, I'm going to need 10 euros for gas from everybody. <laughs> And then another five euros from everybody for the wine, but let's do this. Um, but yeah, it's, it's basically, it's a charity thing, and we have to drive from London in England to Ulaanbaatar oh, in... not London, Germany? No. <laughs> Sadly, you got to specify that with some people, because they go London. <laughs> yeah, it's over in France. <laughs> no, no, London's somewhere in the Baltics, isn't it? Yes. Hold on, just pause on that really quickly. When I was in training at Verizon, um, we had a, a person who was in there with us, and we were talking about, because we have coverage in Canada and Mexico, because they're right here, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, we were talking about, it was like a like a pop, pop quiz sort of a thing, like, okay, tell me what the coverage is in this place, so what can I get in this place? And then they happened to throw out British Columbia, and the girl was like, I can't find it on the map, and she's like, in Europe, looking for it, and we're like... Oh my god, like, sweetheart, it's, it's, no, Canada, like, go, like, come on. That part of Canada <laughs> yeah. over there. Like, over, not, it's right there. Over there, next to that Demdar city called Vancouver. <laughs> like, I, she was, like, she was literally, like, looking all over Europe, where she's like, that's England, and I don't know what that one is, but it doesn't say British Columbia, we're like, oh my god. 
Oh my god. That would be like if you told people to find the District of Columbia. Like, they know it's Washington, D.C. No, they'd be, like, they'd be like, find the District of Columbia, and somebody's like looking around in South America. Yeah. Going, <laughs> yeah I like, found <laughs> Columbia. Which district in Columbia did you want? <laughs> I found a really zoomed-in version. I have the sections. Which one? Which district in Columbia? No, I'm talking about our nation's capital. <laughs> oh, Washington? <laughs> Washington's way out on the West Coast, man. I don't know what you're it's really about. cold and wet over there. That's you where know, that's Seattle, where right? Starbucks comes from. <laughs> <laughs> no, sadly, people are like, yeah, the capital of America is in Washington, which is over in the Pacific Northwest, <laughs> and it borders the state of Seattle, where Starbucks comes from. <laughs> I would love to bring somebody who is that podunk, stupid, and ignorant on this trip. And, like, because, like, I'm not, we haven't, like, solidified. Ex- oh, and then you tell them you're going to Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, you know what we do? We bring him down to, like, Bulgaria and ditch him at a rest stop. Just be like, good luck. See you later, buddy. Because, like, one of the routes, we've got a couple routes in mind, and one of them is, like, you know, drive down into France through from Britain, and then go just kind of across southern Germany, through the Ukraine, although given all the shit that's going on in the Ukraine, we're like, maybe not so much <laughs> Ukraine. The Ukraine. <laughs> so you're basically driving the shittiest car you can find. Over some of the shittiest <laughs> roads in the world. Through all of Europe and yes, you're half going of through, Asia. What, all of Asia. You're going through all of Europe and then what, Asia proper? Um, Russia. Russia. And, and Central Asia. Which is most of Asia. Let's, yeah. let's be honest, it's Russia. It's, Asia is Russia and China. <laughs> and then there's an island of Japan. And India. It depends on what no, we No, no, India is not, not, not Asia. It's tech support land. Exactly, <laughs> tech support Middle East. Middle East is Al-Qaeda and India. That's it. Al-Qaeda and India, huh? Yep. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm epitomizing for you, redneck Bill, right now. Oh, okay. okay. I think that, that is what that is. One of the things we're thinking about, though, is, is driving... I don't care how they go, but I, I just want to cut through Germany. I don't want to go through fucking Italy because it's a nightmare. <laughs> but, Is it? Uh, from what I've heard. I mean, i got a buddy in Milan, so maybe we'll drive down. Because one of the things they're thinking about is going down through the Balkans to Istanbul okay. in Turkey. Mm-hmm. And then from Turkey, getting a ferry through the Black Sea okay. to either Sevastopol in Crimea, in the southern part of the Ukraine, okay. or right to freaking Russia. And then driving that way by the Caspians. Just go straight to yeah, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> well, because we're in that area, and I'm going to nag them and be like, look, we're here in this southern part of Russia. Can we please just drive like two hours north, two or three hours north from this coastal part? Why? Because that's where the city of Volgograd is. What's Volgograd? You might know it better is Stalingrad, and I'll be damned if I am that fucking close to a place like Stalingrad and not stop to go see it. <laughs> that would be my problem if I ever did anything as crazy as that. I'd want to stop everywhere and see everything. Be like, no, yeah. I'm sorry, we haven't seen everything in Italy yet, we can't leave. <laughs> we haven't seen everything in France yet, we can't leave. Well, I have to would... make a pit stop in Portugal, I know it's out of the way, we just we have to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, we gotta stop in Istanbul, because I gotta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's one of those things where it's like, you got six to eight weeks to do this. Right. It starts in July, the finish line closes down on August 31st. So you've got between the beginning of July... And the end of August, beginning of September, to finish this. 
And if you don't finish it by then, you might as well just get the fuck home any way you can. Um, but just because of the instability in places like the Ukraine, it makes me kind of wary to drive through there. And you can get a boat and go, you know, because really driving around Belarus could be a <laughs> or driving through Belarus to get around the Ukraine. Because the Ukraine is really big. <laughs> and driving down to Turkey, like London to Istanbul, that's almost a straight kind of diagonal line. That won't take so long. But having to drive up and around, I mean, at that point, we might as well go, you know, Britain to France, drive up to Denmark and take a boat over to Finland or something. Which is an, is can't also... you go, like, instead of going up to Russia, can't you go down through all those other things? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I would love to drive dangerously close to the Iraq border and then, the, and then try to get permission to drive through the Islamic Republic of yeah, Iran. why not? Is and then, oh, and then... Then we either have to do one of two things. Drive north, dangerously close to the Afghani border. Oh, yeah. The Afghani-Pakistan yeah, border. Yeah, through places like Tajikistan. You can totally go there. Or Cosmetistan. Well, we those Stan countries. There's the like five of them. The only Stan country we're hoping to have to drive through is Kazakhstan. Because one, they're not crazy Muslims. <laughs> two... Big country, wide open spaces, small population. <laughs> the odds of us running into somebody who's crazy like that is very minimal. <laughs> and then, over to Mongolia. <laughs> I, like, I'm like half like, well, you know, we drive straight through Kazakhstan. We could cut through southern China. And then I'm like, no, no, no. I know what a nightmare it is to go through Chinese customs. <laughs> Let's just stick. You know what? We'll like skim through Kazakhstan back up through Russia and then come back down through through it properly. Well, that's another thing. Don't you have to go through, like, border yes. patrol and customs in each of these countries? And that will get increasingly difficult the further into Eastern Europe we get. Which is why I think going through the Baltics, or the Balkans, which is still all relatively in the Eurozone, <laughs> and then Turkey, is better than going through fucking places like the Ukraine, and Poland, and Romania. <laughs> yeah. No. So what what do you have to prepare for to go basically across two entire continents? Like what what is what is the what is the preparation for that? Well, first thing is getting the car, getting the team together, getting the car and getting the paperwork and the insurance money or not the insurance money, the charity money yeah. squared away. Then it's just saving up money. For yourself, because you're going to fucking need it going through all these places. Now, are they are they stipulating that you have to stop at certain places? Or? No, uh, they cannot. There are places on a map that are called the RIPs, which I think is a terrible name. <laughs> and it stands for, in, in, in just typical dry British fashion, humor fashion, that stands for the rather irregular places... <laughs> And what they do is they will have a leaderboard set up, and the more irregular places you get to, the more points you get. And the more irregular it is, the more points you get. All right. So where – do you know any of the crazy oh, places? Oh, yeah, there? like Leningrad. <laughs> I'm sorry, St. Petersburg and places – And how far out of the way 
It's like yeah. St. Petersburg. Chernobyl. Well, it's like <laughs> St. Petersburg and like places in Turkey yeah. and Turkmenistan and Persia, or should I say Iran. <laughs> um, you know, and just knowing my luck, we'll get across the border just in time for World War Three to break the fuck out. <laughs> like, we'll be driving through, per, you know, Persia, and I'll get two snippets of a word in Urdu I understand, and I'm like... <laughs> I don't know, but I think they just said they nuked Israel, so we better get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Well, that sounds like a ridiculous thing that you're going to do. Yeah. The other, the other really important part of this is because we kind of have a test that we like people who are like, "Oh, I really want to go. It'd be awesome." And I'm like, "Okay." Somebody says they really want to go. They're bad shit crazy. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> but there are those who really want to go who are batshit crazy, who are people like me and my brother and Johnny Two-Tone who've done, and my cousin Seb, who have done crazy shit like this. Sebby was in Hong Kong with me in 2008 for that whole debacle. And the kid got his wallet stolen while he was there, left oh. Hong Kong. Yeah, the worst part was, is they didn't, like, physically steal it. They must have saw him put it down and, like, had been watching him and realized he was oblivious, oblivious and unaware. <laughs> because they walked up, took it, opened it up, saw he had his passport in there, just took the money, closed it, and left. Oh, jeez. So at least I left the passport. I yelled at him pretty bad for that one. I was like, you left a passport. A British passport! Unattended <laughs> in a bar. That's what I was thinking. Like, if they took the whole wallet, he doesn't have identification. How the fuck is he going to get out of there? The worst part is he's Eurasian. His mother's from Hong Kong. Oh, God. So, Good luck, Sam. Um, but he left Hong Kong with 100 U.S. dollars in his pocket <laughs> and managed to spend a couple months traveling through Malaysia and Thailand and Cambodia until he got back to the to wow. Britain. So he does some crazy stuff. Um, so, like, you know, we're guys who do these crazy things, but we know we can handle them. Then there are people who are like, I want to do that. That sounds just like Top Gear. And I'm like, oh, No. <laughs> you can't come. Why? Because you think this is going to be like a fucking hoity-toity TV show. And you don't understand. You know what we don't have? We don't have a camera crew following us. With thick wallets given to them by the BBC. <laughs> with trailers and hotel rooms that you don't see that are just off screen. That they go sit in comfortably <laughs> while they're doing this shit. This is not going to be like a TV show. This is not going to be anything fun. The the preparation, that the other thing you have to do is mentally, you have to be able to wrap your brain around what you're about to do. And people are like, oh, you're going to see so many beautiful things. Like, yes, it will be a beautiful things to be seen. But you're going to see them and wave past them. <laughs> not only that. <laughs> and be stuck with these same three people for eight weeks. Not only in that. In a tiny little car. See, she gets it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do that at all. See, she, and, if, and if you said, I want to do that, knowing that you understand what this is going to involve <laughs> makes me go, you know what, you could actually come. <laughs> because clearly you understand what kind of hell we're going to be going through. Oh, yeah, and hell is not even, I don't think, the tip of the iceberg with that but one. But people are like, you're going to see so many great things. Johnny was like, oh, so it's a sightseeing tour. Like, no. No, a sightseeing tour costs a lot more money, and it's a lot more upscale, and that's how I would like to see Europe. <laughs> <laughs> The worst part is this. People are like, you're going to see so many beautiful things. Yeah, once. Every two other, every, like, three days, days of driving <laughs> yeah. across barren, flat stepland. Yes, we will occasionally. You drive through Nebraska for three days, and yeah. then you'll see something. And I'm just like, that's what it's going to be. And you're going to be spending 12 to 16 hours a day in the, this Probably tiny, shitty little car. more than that if his brother doesn't really sleep yeah. for long periods let's, of let's time. Let's say you spend eight hours sleeping every day. That's 
I'm, six, I'm saying it's like liberal. Yeah, yeah. So it's 16 hours a day. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this. I think sleeping is going to be more like six hours. Like you'll get six hours of sleep intermittently, <laughs> and you'll be spending the other what's that, 18 hours? Yeah. Awake in the car, bored out of your mind. Cramped. Cramped uh, in. Occasionally fiddling with the radio station to see if you can get something that, that's something that sounds vaguely. You won't understand what they're saying, but maybe it'll be music. And and because you're you're totally out of country and everything, there's no fucking cell phone service unless you're in emergency. Yep. There's no there's no English radio unless you're in Britain. There and, still may not be a cell service if it's an emergency, depending on what you did with your carrier beforehand. Your phone literally may not work. Depending on what kind of car you get, you might not even have a fucking cassette player in your car. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's, it's not only that, but here's the thing. It's not a race, and what the guys who run the rally do is they set up two things. The start line and the finish line. You are completely on your own in between. And you have to be okay with the idea of being alone in a roadside town in the middle of nowhere, critically injured after a car accident, with the nearest medical facilities, if you could fucking call them that, a day away by donkey ride, and realize that nobody is coming for you. And if you can get your head around that and go, okay, I still want to try this, one probably need some mental help yeah <laughs> and two you can do this you should probably seek professional help yeah. now uh, all of you what is the success rate on this uh on this venture I, you know i don't know the success rate but i did look up the mortality rate Uh-oh. and so far in the last 10 years only one person has ever died okay oh that's good did they drive through Persia. <laughs> they got into a car accident in Persia and died. They died and the two other people in the car were badly injured. All right. That's why we're not driving through Persia. Yeah, that's probably it's the sad. other reason I don't drive through fucking Persia. <laughs> um, the success rate, though, it is a fairly large rally. You have upwards of 300 people uh, doing this thing every year. So 300 people start, and then they have a success rate of about 70%. All right, so... What happens to the other 30%, I wonder? The cars, Do they get, like, 10 hours in and they're like, fuck this shit? I'm sure there are some people who start, like, getting further on into the trip and then they just go, ah, this was a bad idea. Or a lot they of, get too drunk in one of the countries and they're like, oh, Germany, it's Oktoberfest, <laughs> let's fucking drink. The other, the other so problem is July, so a lot of the cars break down and are, like, they can't fix them. That's why we made it... Like, there are two things that we're going to put in the car. We need a mechanic fix the car but one of the things we're stocking with the car is camping gear sleeping bags in a tent so we can just park the car somewhere and sleep yeah. two um is spare parts yeah <laughs> brake pads lines hoses belts. clamps belts whatever tires and tools yeah you should really get like a bus so you have enough room to <laughs> fit all of this shit. yeah well, I mean, because yeah, you're gonna need a mechanic and like a small shop basically. to maintain. Well, your no, we're gonna need a mechanic, car. and we'll get some very <laughs> basic essential tools, and he's gonna have to make do. Well, that... the basic essential tools is fine, but like to carry all those parts with you all this time, like you have to have at least you figure two or three spare tires in there just in case something happened. I, I think... really like optimally four, but I mean, you're not gonna fit that in a trunk with all of these other spare. Parts. I think, I think, oh man, if we could get a Yugo, 
<laughs> that would be awesome. You don't, you don't want to be stuck in some godforsaken road in the middle of nowhere, like Russia, yeah. with nothing around you, and you have a flat tire and no other tires. I mean, obviously, like, eight... I mean, we'll try to get one or two. I don't think we'll be able to get more than that. Right. But, like... Two's probably a good bet. <clears throat> well, the other thing is this. We're also kind of, like... I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> like, two spare tires and then, like, a couple of other spare things. But a lot of stuff, Johnny... The reason we want him on this trip so bad is because he knows how to, like, make do. Lots of duct tape. Five rolls of duct tape. So, <laughs> so much duct tape. You're going to roll across the finish line with an engine and duct tape. <laughs> and tires. I, I think how we're going to wind up across the, fa- the finish line is with the front end of the car and then like a board with wheels on it and just me and my brother and this guy Johnny sitting in the back and like one of us whipping the horse that's like pulling it as we get brought across the finish line. Yeah, are there any like requirements for when you get across? Do you still have to be in that nope. same car? Could you have bartered it for a different car? <laughs> so let me get this straight. You bartered the car for two yaks and a goat. Exactly. And then when apparently when you got to the Mongol border, you bartered again for this motorbike with a sidecar that you put the three of you on. Exactly. Actually, no. We bartered the motorbike for one yak. The other yak was what we used to get across the border. And the goat is what we used to get these styling new clothes. Imagine you come, come across with like half a car pulled by a horse. Like, yeah, we had to trade half of the car for this horse so we could get home. home. (laughs) Well, the other thing is you have to have money enough because there's a deposit you have to pay on the car to ship it back. Because it's a refundable deposit, but they don't want you just ditching the car in a hole somewhere in Mongolia. They used to to auction the cars off, but apparently after 10 years, the Mongol market is a little flooded with shitty British cars, (laughs) and they don't want them anymore, so... We'll just do it in the next country over. What's next to Mongolia? Just throw them in there. I don't think China wants any of that no, shit. I don't think China wants any of that. Although I would be perfectly fine with you ditching the sun bitch in like the Gobi Desert somewhere. Like, they are never going to fucking find this. I don't even know which side of the border I'm on. Fuck it. Get the horse. Let's go. Well, at that point, you would have traded him for a camel. This, the creepy thing, there were a couple other things that these guys do. The rickshaw run was something Des and I were looking to do. We can fly to India for two weeks. We can get two weeks off work easy enough and just drive in that stupid rickshaw for two weeks. That's not so bad. That's yeah, a, that, no, that sounds like a good old time. It's a little bit more controlled. It's it's a two-week, really lax kind of drive through India. Yeah. I, I could do that. But it's not lax, though, because you're on this little rickshaw thing. Good. You're on a two-week, like, vacation. Why don't you go on a vacation? Because that wouldn't be as much fun. Because Nolan can't do normal people well, apparently, things. Apparently. I'm like, if I'm going two weeks, I'm going to another country. I'm either going to the Caribbean, or I'm backpacking through Europe, but not like a crazy person. Just think about it. We spent this last hour talking about stuff that normal people would look at and go, maybe not me. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing they do, this adventurous group puts on, that I would like to to do, but I would, would I would need to spend two years prepping for it at least. And it's of the things they do, it is one of the only other well, it's one of the only other things I'd consider doing. One, I have no interest in doing the world's longest bicycle trek. 
Yeah, that sounds uh, horrifying. How long are we talking? I'm willing to bet you start in London and end in fucking Mongolia or something. <laughs> that sounds like that mortality rate is going to be like 50%. Yeah, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> or you'd be incredibly fit afterwards. The other one is some other thing. It's like the rickshaw rally, but you you got to fucking do it across the country of Peru. I'm not doing that. Peru, no. Uh-uh. Mountains, high up, fall off, narrow path. No, not happening. The other one, uh, oh yeah, here's one that I never want to do, because this sounds just like a recipe for fucking disaster. The Polar Express. <laughs> you have to go to the North fucking Polar. Get into, Why? They, they send you in the winter to a village in Russia. Not like it matters whether it's winter or <clears throat> summer, but come on. But you then, from this place in Russia, follow a frozen river to the Arctic Circle and back. Because you hate yourself? I guess. I'm not doing that. No. I was like, no. Because their tagline is, you don't need your fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's a terrible selling point. No. Um, the only other one they do is it's called the Mongol Derby. Uh-huh. And the Mongol Derby is a recreation of Genghis Khan's um, early message delivering system he had set up which was basically like the mongol pony express only 600 years before the pony express existed he was counting on his fingers by the way (laughs) yeah that was the pause um but you literally and this one's more controlled but you get to ride mongolian ponies um across this this circular path and you kind of race from from point to point um across Mongolia on these horses. And in doing so, you cross some of the most beautiful landscapes. But all I have to say is Mongolia is one fucking weird-ass country because <laughs> you will pass through lush, green fields, flat stepland, arid deserts, mesas, and <laughs> dense forests in one day of riding. <laughs> so, hold on. If you're on a pony, how long does that take? Oh, the whole thing? Yeah. I don't know. It's another one of those week-long, two-week-long. Do you realize how uncomfortable it is to sit on a horse for any length of time? Well, you race from point to point, from like a point in time in the morning to a point in time of day, and then you stop. So it's like a dog. Have you ridden a horse? Yeah. Do you realize how uncomfortable that is? I I mean, I guess. Like I said, I would need a couple years prep of actual riding lessons. (laughs) Before I would consider doing it, but I'd do it. I, I, I learned how to ride horses when I was a kid, weirdly enough. so uncomfortable after, like, two hours. You're uncomfortable. And if you do that every day... Every day for eight is, hours. Yeah, no. That's a bad <laughs> idea. No. I don't know. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, uh... So, Zeus has declared that the show is over. Okay. Because Zeus has decided that that's not fun, and he yeah. just wants to run through Mongolia. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and bark. So, so this is where we're gonna stop. Uh, thanks, Nolan, for coming in and talking about the crazy stuff that you do. Thank you. And want to do. Or will do, yes. <laughs> and we'll probably have you on the show again at some point. Awesome. There's a whole crazy amount of things that you do that <laughs> <laughs> that we need to talk about at some point. Okie dokie. We we didn't even touch your adventures into China at all. Yeah, not really. Huh? Or all the my fucking drunken exploits over the last. Yes. Yeah. I think your drunken exploits could be like three shows. <laughs> we could do, do them up. Drunken exploits overseas. Yeah. Drunken exploits in reenacting. Yeah. Drunken exploits at home. Yeah. Or okay. rather in the continental United States because there were a couple out in the West Coast in Utah and whatnot. 
Alright, so, uh... Crunk and Nolan around the, around the globe. Yeah, that's, that's the end of the show. S so says Zeus. <laughs>